This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, we're ready to go. We're in Colossians chapter 1 today. This is week 4 of a, I really have no clue how long week series. Um, we could be here like a long time, which I'm really happy with, so... Uh, last week's text was first uh, was Colossians 1, 9 through 18. I got about halfway through, decided not to rush it because Colossians 1, 15, 16, 17, and 18 uh, are to quote uh, Dwayne Allsbury choice in the New Testament. So I am excited about that. So we'll start with verse 1 and read through uh, the end of verse 18, and then I'll dive in and uh, give you the blanks for those of you. If you brought your blanks, if you brought your handout from last week, it's mostly the same. There may be a little different, but uh, it's mostly the same. Uh, But if you didn't, I'll I'll cover those blanks real quick, and then we'll jump into this week's text. So Colossians 1, uh, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in the world, as in, and it is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth, as you learned also from Epaphras, our, fear, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And everybody said, Amen Amen to that. It is a spectacularly beautiful piece of scripture. So I'll walk back through verses 9 through 14 real quick, and then we'll jump into 15 through 18. So, for this reason, we also, that we day we heard it, uh, of their faith in Christ, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled. Uh, Last week we talked about this word filled means to be literally to be crammed full. So that's your first blank, to cram full, uh, to cram a net. Uh, or just to, to make a ship that completely ready for a voyage, uh, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, another word to describe God's will is his pleasure. So that's your blank, his pleasure. Uh, in all wisdom, uh, this is skillful living and spiritual understanding. And the idea here is that putting all these three words together gives us the image of someone who can skillfully live out the supernatural connections that they see. So this knowledge piece is what we should believe 
And this spiritual understanding is how we should behave. Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful. And not only just being fruitful, but our, here's your blank, our ability to bear fruit increases as well as a fruit tree does over time. I got to MacArthur's commentary this week, and he said, fruit is the byproduct of righteousness. I thought, that is, that is really good and really convicting at the same time. Because when I look at my life and I see those periods where there's very little fruit, it's because I've been walking a different direction or not with uh, my Lord. So verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Calvin's quote there is that we must be always making progress until death. <clears throat> That's when we get off the hook. Nope. When we get off the hook in this world, we get to get right back on in the next. It is beautiful. It never stops. We're always going to be making progress. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience. And this is not a patience with gritted teeth. This is not long-suffering in anger or in, in anxiousness. This patience is endurance in action. And you combine this patience, this long-suffering with what? What comes next? with joy, right? So we don't just get to say, aren't I righteous? I'm enduring for Jesus. No. You're not really enduring for Jesus. We're, We're making ourselves the center of things. I make myself the center of things when I complain that way. So with joy, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. And we talked about this idea that that He has qualified us to be participating and to be partakers of an inheritance that we didn't qualify for on our own. Uh, To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, he has delivered us or rescued us. This is superhero speak here. If there's a superhero verse in the Bible, it's these two. He has rescued us out of the power of darkness. We looked at that word darkness and how it means the shadiness that obscures. And there's shade that's helpful and there's shade that's harmful. And on a hot day, shade is great. But on a day where we need light, where we need clarity, where we need direction, darkness is not what we're looking for. So this darkness, and he conveyed us. This is a word, the blank there is translated. He picked us up and he moved us to another place. This word in the first century, and actually several centuries before that, was used to describe a people that were conquered and were moved into the land of the conquerors. Think about that. What did Jesus do to my sin? He conquered that, and he moved me into a land with him where conquerors are. Scripture says we are more than conquerors. This is a beautiful word. He translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption or ransom. Uh, One of my favorite movies is an old Mel Gibson movie. Um, You you guys know what I'm talking about? I think it's called Ransom, actually. Uh, And it's it's not Ransom. It's What is is it? Say it again. Payback. It's Payback. And it's this idea that this guy goes, and he's going to go after, what, $70,000. And he just goes on an absolute, complete, and total killing spree for Mm $70,000. And he's fighting this one guy. He's like, man, I can't believe you're doing this for $130,000. He's like, not $130,000. This is $70,000. Like, this is what I'm after. Somebody else stole the rest of your money. I just want this piece back. And the guy's going, I don't don't get this. What kind of a weird dude are you? He's like, well, I just want what's mine. And he was willing to do anything and everything to go and to get what was his. And when I think about, you know, obviously Jesus didn't shoot people in the kneecaps, right? But when I think about what Jesus was willing, and 
Mel Gibson did, and it was kind of weird. So this is where the analogy breaks down, right? This is the danger of quoting movies in Sunday school. Uh, but we have this rescue, we have this redemption, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So my question in your notes is, who did this? Who did this? Who allows us to hit the mark and receive the prize? Who paid our ransom in full? Who carried us away from the force and influence of obscurity and shadiness? Who rescued us and gave us a portion of his inheritance? Who made us saints? Who qualified us so we can participate and partake? Jesus did this, right? I mean, this is what, what, a, what a resume. Jesus goes and applies for a job, and he throws this down in his resume. That's pretty awesome. Can do all things. Spectacular. Hired. Wonderful. Jesus did this. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, don't miss this, we get consumed with distractions like Caitlin and Josh. Right? We get consumed with all this other stuff because we have decided to take our eyes off of Jesus and focus our Christianity on something else. And it is not about anything else. It is about Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Now, as we go through these next verses, 15, 16, 17, and 18, I want you to picture, I want you to picture Ron Popeye. You know what I'm talking about? I think I'm saying his name right. Popeil, thank you. I knew somebody would help me. Awesome. Ron Popeil. What's he known for? He invented stuff. But what's what's he famous for? Getting on TV and saying, but wait, there's more. So every time you hear me say the word and in today's text, I need somebody to say, but wait, there's more. Because this text is nothing but, but wait, there's more. Because we have just described a Jesus that is phenomenally better than everything else. And Paul hadn't even got started yet. So let's look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, He is the image. He is the image. This word can mean a couple of different things. It can mean the representation of a thing, or it can mean the manifestation of a thing. So somebody pull out a coin. I need a coin. Who's got a coin? I need somebody at every single table to pull out a coin because we're going to pass the coin around. Weak toss, I tell you. So somebody just tossed me a quarter. So Daniel just gave me a quarter. I want you to feel the coin in your hand because our coins have raised images on them. And you can feel the image. I want you to actually feel the image. Pass it around, all the way around the table. I want everybody to feel the image on the coin. You feel this? You feel that? What? I have a question for you. What part of that dead president or famous person's body is on that coin? His face or his head is on that coin. Is that the real person? Of course not. That would be creepy. Right? Oh, let me pull out this deadhead. No, I mean, just what in the world? That's ridiculous. We need a representation. We need something that makes us remember and point to something else. Is it the full manifestation of that president or that dead? No, it's not the full manifestation. It's just an image. This word for image is the word that was used for the head of a ruler minted on a coin, which is kind of cool, right? 
But Jesus is not only the thing that points us to God and says, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. Jesus actually is God. He is also the manifestation of that thing as well. It's beautiful. It's the full and complete definition of this word. He is the image of the invisible God. So how, how can we see something that is invisible? The thing that is invisible has to help us see. Uh, a quote from Gramaki this week, he said, uh, the son has literally exegeted the father. He has literally fully explained and walked through who the father is in the representation of himself. And only God can reveal God. I can stand up here and I can talk about God. I can, I can dream about God. I can use every word in my vocabulary to describe God. And I will not come close to doing what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. Because only God can reveal God. It's a beautiful thing. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, this word firstborn can mean first in time. Here's your blank. Place, order, or importance. Importance. And it's used several different ways uh, in the New Testament. But it's always used consistently to a passage. So the firstborn over all creation. First in importance. So what happens when we look at creation and don't acknowledge and recognize the firstborn? What happens? When we study science and we say, God, you have no part in this, you stay over here. What happens to our understanding? It's completely flawed, right? There's no other basis. We can start from any point at that, at that perspective and say we can go any direction we want to. This is no good. See, creation only has meaning when its creator is kept in context, when its creator is kept in sight. When you, when you ignore the creator, the creation has no meaning. The only way to have meaning in our lives is to keep the creator in view when we experience the creation. It's the only way. Anything else is just frustration. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. Your blank here is fabricated. It's a little hokey, but here's my quote for this. God's fabrication department only has one employee, and that's Jesus. He fabricated everything. Everything. He fabricated things that wouldn't be used for thousands of years so that they could be combined and formed together later and helpful, be helpful to us. Right? Because on the eighth day, God did not create an iPhone. Right? But he put every atom in the universe in its place so that thousands of years later, somebody could put all these things together and that could be beneficial for us. So you go design a system that multi-thousand years later will work for all of humanity's good. That's a tough one, right? That's a t you put that on your resume, right? He's, but for by him all things were created or fabricated. Is this where I have the Adam Clark quote in your, in your notes? All right, this is a doozy. I read it five or six times before I got it. But it is, it is rich. So here we go. Creation is the proper work of an infinite, unlimited, and unoriginated being, possessed of all perfections in their highest degrees, capable of knowing, willing, and working infinitely, unlimitedly, and without control. And as creation signifies the production of being where all was absolute non-entity, so it necessarily implies that the creator acted of and from himself. 
For as previously to this creation, there was no being. Consequently, he could not be actuated by any motive, reason, or impulse without himself, which would argue there was some being to produce the motive or impulse or to give the reason. Creation, therefore, is the work of him who is unoriginated, infinite, unlimited, and eternal. But Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. Therefore, Jesus Christ must be, according to the plain construction of the apostles' word, truly and properly God. We don't write this way anymore. (laughs) Books wouldn't sell if you wrote things like this. This is a couple hundred years old. It's good stuff. go, Go home and soak on this a few times this afternoon. So, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and... There's more that are on earth. So this is one way to slice up everything. So you got the stuff that's in heaven and the stuff that's on earth. Here's another way to slice everything. Visible and... there's more. Another way, invisible. Weather. Now, I'm going to stop with the weather for just a second. Because most of the commentators go on a perspective here that doesn't feel like it fits the text to me. Most of the commentators say that the next four nouns are ranks and hierarchies of angels. And probably every single one of your Bibles and your study Bibles will have some reference to this, and it says ranks and hierarchies of angels. And I would love to believe that. My only issue is that the text doesn't say that. So maybe it is, but it doesn't appear really plain that it is. So I'm going to give you a, perhaps a different perspective on this. I'm just going to give you the definitions of each one of these words. Okay? So thrones. This means seats or powers or thrones. This is the office of a ruler. So this is the, the, the job, but not the person, okay? Dominions. These are the, the rulers, the dominions, or the governments. These are the rulers themselves and the governments. So the, the throne is the office of a ruler. The dominion is the whole government itself. The principalities are the head rulers. This is the head person in each government. So whether it's an individual office, the entire government, the head person in a government, or... The powers, and this is the authority that allows someone to rule. These are things that are seen. These are not things that are seen. The office of a ruler can't barely be seen, but an actual government itself, sure, you can see that. The actual head person in a government, you can see that. But the authority behind the head person in the government, the government itself, or the ruler, you can't see those. So these are visible and invisible things here listed, and they're saying that who is above these? Jesus is above these. Yes, because Jesus is better. So all things were created or fabricated through him and for him. All things were created and fabricated through him and for him. Um, The president of the Netherlands wrote a commentary on the Bible like 50 years ago. It's good stuff. Here's his quote. When Jesus looks at his universe from his exalted throne at the right hand of the Father, and he sees the great galaxies whirling in space, the planets and the people upon this planet, and all the minute details of life here, including the details of our individual lives, there is nothing that he sees anywhere of which he cannot say, mine. Drop the mic, walk away. <laughs> it's like, That's amazing. It's all his. Every single bit of it. Verse 17. And we're not done. Jesus is bigger and better than even that. And he is before or in front of all things. So whenever there's a line formed for the cool stuff in the universe, who's at the front of the line? Jesus, because he was before it. So last week, 
when I taught the first uh, five or six verses in this text, he was before that. He was around before that. Last year, when I had an idea of teaching through Colossians, he was before that. When Paul wrote the actual letter to the Colossians, he was before that. When Jesus was actually born on this planet, he was before that. When David showed up a couple of thousand years ago, he was before that. When Abraham showed up, he was before that. When Noah showed up, he was before that. When Adam showed up, he was before that. A week before Adam showed up, on day negative whatever, he was before that. Before the angels showed up, he was before that. That's my God. It's amazing. I can't get over this. He is before all things. It's just beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. And in him, and we could stop there, right? I mean, he's before, there's not, it's just too good. And in him, all things consist. Your blanks are set together. In him, he puts everything together. I went to Wikipedia this week and read their article on the strong nuclear force, just to make sure I was up on the latest and greatest information here. We still don't know why atoms hold together. The math doesn't work. They should fly apart. Things with same charges fly apart. But we have created subatomic particles and words to hold properties that make things hold together just to make it explainable to us. And they say that if the strong nuclear force that holds all these atoms together were ever to go away, that the universe would explode. Hmm. Yeah, there'll be a big bang. That's right. It wasn't at the beginning of all things. It'll be at the end of the, the earth, right? Jesus will remove himself from things. Uh, Robertson's got a quote. He says, The permanence of the universe rests then on Christ far more than gravity. It is a Christocentric universe. Wesley says he is the cement as well as the support of the universe. And it's almost like unity has been embedded into the very fabric of the universe. And this is a beautiful picture of Jesus' fingerprints on his creation. Lightfoot, here's your quote, says he is the principle of cohesion in the universe. He impresses on creation that unity and solidarity which makes it a cosmos instead of a chaos. Because when you remove the creator from the universe, you have chaos and lack of meaning. When you keep Christ in the right view, you have meaning and a cosmos. It is beautiful. It's totally different. J. Vernon McGee says he's the, he is the super glue of the universe. <laughs> Sorry. I had to do it in his voice. Adam Clark. Here's another one. It's a doozy. He says, as every effect depends upon its cause and cannot exist without it, so creation, which is an effect of the power and skill of the creator, can only exist and be preserved by continuance of that energy that first gave it being. Hence, God as the preserver is as necessary to the continuance of all things as God the creator was to their original production. You can have a creator, but if the creator doesn't sustain it, so what? Right? Moms, you can birth a baby. But if you then turn around and abandon that baby and don't work to sustain and support that baby, so what? We do not have a God that kicked off the universe and then walked away. We have a God who kicked off the universe and is literally holding it together. 
He is holding the atoms that make me and you up right now. He is keeping us from exploding. Yay. That sounds like a superhero to me, right? What's your superpower, Jesus? I keep the universe holding together. Well, that's mic drop time, right? That's pretty awesome stuff. So Wearsby's got a good perspective on this because the, the Greeks, uh, these, this uh, philosophy that Paul is writing into his, they had a philosopher that they taught that everything needed a primary cause, an instrumental cause, and a final cause. The primary cause is the plan. So you had to have a plan. The instrumental cause is the power. This is the ability to do this thing. And the final cause is the purpose. And when it comes to creation, Jesus Christ is the primary cause because he planned it, the instrumental cause because he produced it, and the final cause because he did it for his own pleasure beautiful. He answers the Greek philosophers and he says, Jesus. And that's it. That's the answer. Verse 18. And we're not done. It keeps getting better. What does verse 18 say? Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the the body. What body is that? That's us. That's us. He is the head of the body, the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Who is the beginning of this is the same as the principalities in Colossians 1.16. The firstborn from the dead. Now, Paul does not say, this is a Wearsby quote, that Jesus was the first person to be raised from the dead, for he wasn't the first person to be raised from the dead. He's the most important person of all the people who have been raised from the dead because without his resurrection, there could be no resurrection for others. Here's my perspective on this. My Jesus took death to the grave and left it there. And he brought out life for me. There's good stuff there. He took my death and he buried it. He took his death and he buried it. And he left it there. And at the end of all things, he's going to take death and hell and cast them into the lake of fire and leave it there forever. And that's where it'll be. Because when Jesus deals with something, he doesn't just partially deal with it. He deals with it. That, so all this stuff that he has written so far, that, that what? That in all things, he, the H is capital, we're talking about Jesus, may have the, what's your word? Preeminence, which is first place or firstness. He is first. Your last blank there is the resurrection assures believers that Christ is not a legend. He is alive and ruling his kingdom. My superhero is not in comic books. My superhero is in the book of books. My superhero will rule and reign forever. And he did things that nobody's even dreamed about doing. He had to reduce his creative work down to simplest, simplistic terms so that we could even comprehend it. He had to stoop low for us to understand what he did. This is the professor in that class that you almost failed in school that used every explanation that he could to explain how smart he really is. And you still kind of went, not sure. God is so much bigger. So you say, Jim, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. Number one, Jesus is first. Everything exists in him, for him, and through him. Jesus Christ is the sphere in which they exist, the agent through which they came into being and the one for whom they were made. So what do I do with that? This is really bad grammar and awkward sentence structure, but I don't know a better way to say it. Be not first. 
I don't care what place you are, but don't be, be not first. Jesus is first, so be not first. You say, well, should I be second? Probably not. Probably like somebody else should be second. I don't know. I don't feel like I should be second. What about third? It still feels too high. You know, maybe 612th or something. I don't know. That's probably still too high in the history of the world, right? But be not first. So two, this is, and if you brought your handout from last week, this two is not on your handout. There is always more with Jesus. For the rest of eternity, we will explore the and. I don't know how else to say it. The and is big. It is huge. It is massive, and it never stops. God is the only eternal being in the universe, and it will take us, watch me, if we think about time as being split in half where we are right now, this is past, this is future, God has always existed this way. We will always exist this way. It will take us all of this to never fully comprehend all of that. God is really, really big. So there's always more with Jesus. So look for the more and what do I do? And then number three, one of my greatest favorite quotes of all times, it's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus and it's only about Jesus. Because sometimes we read the Bible and we think it's about these other Bible characters. And we think it's about this great story. And we think, oh, I'm that person in the story. No, we're not. I'm going to read you an extended quote by Tim Keller. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that now cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go into the void, not knowing whither he went. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, from whom you love from me. Now we at the foot of the cross can say to God, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses, who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his friends. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it. Quit telling your kids that they are David in the story of David and Goliath. We are Saul in the story of David and Goliath. We're not even on the battlefield. Quit telling your kids that Jesus is in their corner. Jesus is not in their corner. He's out in the middle of the ring, slugging it out for us. We're in the corner, and we're defeated. And I have no hope, and I am not qualified. And I can't do anything without my superhero. That's my Jesus. He is the true and better. He is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate 
and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, but said, when I perish, I'll perish for them to save my people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. Jesus is the real Passover lamb, the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's not about us. The Bible's about somebody better. The Bible's about Jesus. I thought it was a great quote. I love this stuff. So what do I do with that? Be all about Jesus because Jesus is better. What do I do with that? I say that my name is not important. I say that his name is important. And I say that when I steal glory from him, that is wrong because Jesus is better. Is it not beautiful? You see why I love this text? And you know what? There's more ands in Colossians. What chapter are we in? There's more. It's beautiful. Don't settle for a skimming of the surface of Scripture. Dig in. Dive deep. Think through these things. And soak on the fact that Jesus is better. So, I have no idea what time it is. Hey, that worked out pretty well. I didn't look at the clock because I was going to finish when I finished. How's that? Um, good for y'all. Lucky for y'all, right? The, um, several of you are new to Sunday school, so thank you for coming to Sunday school today. Uh, at the center of your table is a weekly update, and it basically has spots for you to just fill out prayer requests. I'm done, by the way, with the lesson, so I'm completely exhausted. I'm going to go sleep for a while. After I drive a couple hours, <clears throat> we're headed to Mobile, so y'all be praying for us. Uh, yeah, we have a hotel. It's going to be good. The, uh, the prayer request sheets are in the middle of the table there, though, so if you've got prayer requests for this week, fill those out. If you have something that needs to be modified on, that, on the prayer requests on the right, please correct those. Uh, Darla will get those up to us. And then if you've got new prayer requests that you want to be included on that sheet for next week, then just put those in the ongoing section. We don't have to do anything with the chairs this morning. Thank you so much for being here. This is encouraging. I was going to teach this lesson if it was just me and Julie, and she was going to get a lot of Jesus. So it was going to happen one way or the other. Uh, but thank you for being here. We appreciate that. And we do, for those of you that are new or kind of uh, nearly new, we do this each week. So you're invited back next week, too. So thanks for coming, guys. Pray at your tables, and then you are dismissed.